Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Are you awake? You know, I was reading a reflection this week uh, by a young American priest on the meaning of Lent, and this is what he had to share. And I quote, In Lent, Jesus looks at each of us with love and compassion and says, Are you awake? And what he realized for himself, and what I believe is true of all of us, is that we are often asleep in our faith. And we drift from one place to the next without cultivating a listening ear to the Word of God spoken over us. And I think that we fall asleep in our faith because we have mistaken priorities. And so today I want to talk about priorities. The truth is that we're constantly looking for uh, happiness, identity, security, meaning in life. But where are we looking to find these things? And so here's today's main point, and I'll give it to you up front. We will adopt a mistaken identity, and we're going to miss out on happiness, security, and meaning in life if God doesn't come first. All right? That's the bottom line. And we actually uh, see this in today's Old Testament reading. Today we heard the Ten Commandments, God's law. And for some of us, this brings up memories of the, ch the classic Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, which I listened to in a Spanish dub and it was fantastic. Or for some of us, it's The Prince of Egypt, right? It's also a fantastic film. If you haven't watched it after service, just put it in. You're not going to regret it. And so for some of us, the Ten Commandments, it's probably just media, it's a fun story, and that's about it. But for some of us, others, the Ten Commandments, we take it very seriously. They are our rule of life. And so we have these kind of two, uh, two points, right? It's either media or it's our rule of life. And I think for many of us, we fall somewhere in the middle. So wherever you find yourself, whether it's media, whether it's a rule of life, or somewhere in between, first I want to say, welcome. We're so glad that you're here this morning. And so I want to invite you, and in fact everyone in the spectrum, to intentionally cultivate a listening ear to the Word of God spoken over us this morning. And so let's take the time to listen to what God says to us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Let me read it for you. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, the great German reformer Martin Luther once said that the fundamental problem in keeping God's law is always idolatry. In other words, we never break the other commandments without breaking the commandment against idolatry. Now, idolatry is not a thing of the past. Though you may not have literal idols in your home that you venerate and worship, don't be too quick to dismiss these ancient words of the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. Do I have idols, you might ask? Well, a commentator defines idols and idolatry this way, and I quote, What is an idol? 
It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. You see, we were made to worship. In fact, we were made to worship God. But in our modern age, we have a tendency to take good things and make them ultimate things. So take anything. It could be family, it could be money, it could be success, definitely romance. I mean, these are all good things. But if they are your source, your ultimate source of happiness, of security, of identity, of meaning in life, well, it's an idol. And because it's an idol, it will actually rob you of all those good things because you were created to find happiness, security, identity, meaning in life only in Jesus. The fact is, idols, they blind you to the nature of reality. They blind you to Jesus. I mean, St. Paul points that out so clearly in his letter to the Corinthian church that we heard today. He clearly saw that both Jews and Greeks had idols, and those idols blinded them. And so this is what he writes. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. Paul points out that the Jews demand signs. See, the Jews, they knew the Bible, and they had a checklist that any prospective Messiah was supposed to fulfill. The Messiah was supposed to be a political savior. And so they took a good thing, which is scriptural analysis and reflection, but they made it an ultimate thing. So that when Jesus showed up and he didn't fit their checklist, they rejected him. They insisted on reality in their own terms, and they missed out on Jesus. But St. Paul also points out that the Greeks demand wisdom. See, the Greeks, they had high philosophy, they had logic, and so they took a good thing, the rational mind, but they made it an ultimate thing so that when Jesus showed up and Jesus didn't fit their metaphysics, they ridiculed the very idea of him. I mean, how does God become a man? Uh, how does the infinite become finite? It was complete nonsense to them. They were insisting on reality in their own terms and missed out on Jesus. What good things are we making into ultimate things? You know, this is a probing and sobering question, so please don't speed by it. If we love other things more than God, they become a stumbling block to us. It's not a matter of loving good things less. It's a matter of loving God more. So the question is, what checklist, what logic are we insisting on saying, saying to God, unless you fit this ideal, I will not follow you? We could say to God, well, God, if you don't fit my politics, if you don't fit my lifestyle, if you don't fit my financial aspirations, if you don't fit my modern secular values, I won't follow you. And so whatever you're insisting on, no matter how many hymns you sing on any given Sunday, that thing you're insisting on, that's your real God. That's your idol. Idols make the simple truth of Jesus Christ seem ridiculous. 
If you want to follow Jesus, but you insist on uncritically absorbing and upholding modern secular values, you know, contemporary politics, a life full of creature comforts, when you read the Bible, Jesus won't make sense to you. What Jesus lived for, what he died for, his resurrection, it strains credibility in our secular age. But the lasting insight of St. Paul remains true. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, following Jesus often seems foolish in our secular age. We find ways of needlessly deconstructing the Bible so that it doesn't mean what we fear it means, so that our faith fits our culture comfortably. But that's not how God works. I mean, think about this. Remember that time that uh, Jesus fit into his culture neatly and then lived a long and peaceful life? No, you don't, because that never happened. And so, just think about that. Jesus loved God perfectly, the only one. And Jesus loved his neighbor perfectly. And they killed him. Are you, am I, are we greater than our master? God didn't come as a political master. He didn't come as an elite uh, philosopher. He came in humility and weakness as a baby. And when he was murdered on a cross, he was considered a failure then as now. But this is the great reversal of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God took our human wisdom, you know, the idea that might makes right, or if you got more votes, then of course you must uh, be morally right. And he reversed it when he raised Jesus from the dead. Not human power nor human wisdom, but Jesus is the ultimate authority that challenges what we think is right, is understandable, and a rational way to live. God is not interested in fitting neatly with our polite modern sensibilities. Jesus, not our cultural moment, is the creator and sustainer of all reality. I want you to consider this. In their own time, your great-grandparents were very modern people. And now if you took the time to reflect on what they believed, on a lot of that, you would cringe. Today, we are very modern people, and the future will look to us and what we believed, and they're going to cringe. Because you see, our, our, our human-constructed values, they pass away. Only Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, is everlasting. My friends, God made us. He knows what's best for us. I mean, that's why Jesus cleansed the temple, because he saw people were relying on other things rather than God. And so when he cleared the temple and folks doubted who he was, that he was the real deal, I mean, they killed him. But God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. And so the whole point is that Jesus is the beginning and the end. If we don't go to Jesus first for our deepest needs, then we're actually going against how God designed and created us, and we're going to miss out on everything that matters most. 
What do you love? What do you want more than anything in the world? When given a moment to let your mind wander, to what or to whom does it turn? These questions and others like them provide insight into the gods that compete for your attention and compromise your singular devotion to Jesus. You know, Lent is a time of year where we can feel a bit safer about acknowledging our brokenness. It's also a season of intentional identification. Don't let Lent pass you by. Instead, take time to be quiet and thoughtful before God. Intentionally identify the idols that are dividing you from God. I want to invite you to take time today Just you and God and consider, reflect, pray, maybe even collapse if you need to, and collapse into the arms of the one who loves you, who actually loves you. And as you do that, God's Holy Spirit will come into your life. You'll find yourself praying the way Thomas Akempis once prayed when he said, grant me above all else to rest in you that my heart may find its peace in you alone. For you are the heart's true peace, its sole abiding place, and outside yourself all is hard and restless. In this true peace that is in you, the sole supreme and eternal good, I will dwell and take my rest. Together, let's pray. Creator God, Forgive us for worshiping the things you have made. No person or thing should be our hope or our trust. You alone are self-existent and all-sufficient. May you be our all in all. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and only Lord. Amen.